We're going to talk about today, the title of my message is How to Live a Life That You Love. Okay? How to Live a Life That You Love. Um, one of the things, you know, that the Lord has been talking to me about really since the beginning of this year, uh, for those of you who have been around, you know that the Lord has really uh, begun to put me on this new journey of understanding faith. Um, I was raised, you know, I knew Kenneth Copeland better than I knew my grandpa. You know, I watched him all day long. My mom, you know, had this thing. I knew at the end of every broadcast, you're like, and Jesus is Lord, right? <laughs> you know, I thought that was my last name, right? But, uh, you know, as, as, as I spent my whole life and I grew, I grew up in this understanding of what faith is or to what I thought I understood what faith is. And as I stepped into this year, understanding that there was a lot of things that God was desiring to change in my life. Um, I began, you know, he started out this year and, you know, most people, you know, you come to church or whatever, God's getting ready to, you know, bring you into, you know, the new year and God gives you like this great encouraging message, you know, and it's like, you know, Alex, you're so nice and wonderful and this is going to be a great year, but that wasn't what God sent to me at all. He said, Alex, this year you need to get a little more disciplined. And what, as he began to speak to me about that, what I began to learn from what he was talking about was that he began to encourage me to go down this journey of beginning to re-understand what it looked like to live a life of faith. And, you know, as we've done this year and my dad has done with, you know, his charts and drawings is, is I feel like what God has done, God actually coined this year, the year of faith was so that we would understand or to look at this message of faith with new eyes, to understand that the evidence that we are faith people is that we're manifesting faith things in our life. And through this whole year, God has been saying one thing to me, really steady throughout this whole year. And he says to me, Alex, I need you to understand this one thing. Your life was meant to be enjoyed. That was so weak. Maybe he just meant more to me. Because I'm like, yes, Lord, you're right. It was. And I think that sometimes, you know, the conundrum that we face in this faith journey is that in order to understand where we want to go, we, are, we can become so bombarded with where we are. Is that not right? Like when, when I'm, you know, let's just say, let's pick an example that I'm believing God for a new car. Is that sometimes in my process of believing God for a new car, every time that I get into my old car, I can feel a little bit disappointed because my old car isn't my new car. And I think that for really the majority of my life, my life was lived that way, is that in order to go forward, it felt as though I was taking two steps backwards, that I became so aware because of where I wanted to be, I was so aware of where I am right now and how much I didn't like where I am right now. And then God shows up on the scene and says to me, Alex, every day of your life was meant to be enjoyed. Every day of your life was meant to be enjoyed. And, and as I went down this road, and we've talked about it a lot, you know, I began to understand this one simple concept. It was that the life that I'm living today is a result of the things that I believe in my heart. That, you know, I think this is part of the discipline, part about God, you know, you know rebuking me in the beginning of 2016, is the understanding that our life is the product, whether we like it or not of what's going on on the inside of our heart. And, and not that that's a hopeless message, but it's a me an amazing message because it's like God has given us a window into understanding what's going on in my heart. And he's given us all the tools and every bit of understanding to know how do I change what's in my heart, but the process of changing what's in my heart, of changing the world around me is completely dependent on me. Yeah. 
And I think that that, if there's anything else that I can deliver to you this morning, it's that idea is that in order for you to live a life that you love, the responsibility, unfortunately, right? Take this finger and go like this. The responsibility is on me. Because one of the things that I've known about, right? I've, I've, surprisingly enough, I've only lived on this world for 30 years. I didn't live long ago, 2,000 years ago. I wasn't here then. But my whole existence has been an existence where people, things, life, commercials, television, Instagram, social media, has tried to tell me that my happiness comes as a result of something else, that I could buy it, that I could text it or tweet it, that I can find it, that if I work hard enough, I can get it. But I love what you said this morning, you know, is that there is a God void on the inside of us that no matter how full we can make our life, the satisfaction that we are working to the bone in order to find Jesus 2,000 years ago already paid, he bought it for you. It's already been done. The life that we want to live, myself, everybody, has already been made for us, handcrafted. You said it this morning, in Jeremiah, the scripture says that before, you know, or, or I think it's in Ephesians, that before God laid the foundation of the earth, he knew us. Jeremiah, Jeremiah talks about that when we were in our mother's womb, he was the one who knit us together. Every desire, everything on the inside of you, God knit it together. He put it in you, and not only did he put it in you, but he created, he laid out the steps already. Before he created the world, he laid out every step that we would have to take in order to love every single day of our lives. But that takes us to what I think is the scariest scripture in the Bible. I've made reference to this once before. <laughs> or so. Because I believe that this is God's formula to finding true happiness. Because you have to understand, this, is, this isn't coming from like a theory. Right? You know, you might look at me and be like, oh, you're a pastor. You have no idea what I deal with on an everyday basis. Okay? But this wasn't always my life, you know? I was in school to become a doctor. You know, I was, not that there's anyone with doctors. I love doctors. I'm thankful for them. Yay for all the doctors. Ooh. God bless you and your ability to go through all that schooling. You're better than me. <laughs> but what I discovered was that there was nothing that I could get. I thought maybe it was in a new car, and so I'd buy a new car. I'd work really hard and buy a new car, and it was amazing. That new car made me feel good. But then, you know, somebody banged into it, and I'm like, oh, this whole thing is garbage. <laughs> right? Yeah. We search for it in so many things, only to realize that the satisfaction we experience is, is almost annoyingly temporary frustratingly temporary until we move on to the next thing that we need and somehow we don't correlate the fact that just because I got something before didn't make me happy, somehow we think that it's the next thing that's going to make me happy. 
And I believe that this scripture, as scary as it may be, is God's formula for us to finding happiness. And it says in Matthew uh, 10, 39, it's this very simple scripture that if you're like me, you skimmed over it very quickly. It says this, Alex paraphrase, if you try to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. If you try to save your life, if you try to create your own life, if you think that there's something that you can do in your own power in order to create the life that on the inside of you, you know you are born to live, you'll never find it. But if you can lose your life, not die, if you can lose your life, like uh, John talks about, if I can lose my life in him, like the scripture says, that I am in him and he is in me. If I can become so lost in God to the place where I no longer, like Jesus said, think my own thoughts, but what? I only say what my, I only do what my father, I'm so lost in him that I can't tell a difference between me and him that everything I think, I'm not sure if it's in the Bible or from God or it's from my, I'm so lost in him now that I don't possess my own desire desires, but it's as though everything in me cries out for more of what God wants. Jesus is telling us here that when I find that place, I'll find a life that I love to live. I don't know about you, but I want to love life. I want to, you know, not just because, you know, I'm the kind of person, you know, where I'm pretty, pretty easygoing. At least I like to think that I'm easygoing. <laughs> Ask the people that are close to me, and they will tell you about who I am. But I like to think that I'm pretty easygoing. But a lot of the times, you know, I have to, you know, in order to love my life, you know, it's like, and I'm sure that some of you do that, you know, I'll, I'll just sweep things under the rug, or I'll just stuff my emotions down. And, you know, that's not what God's talking about. He's not talking about losing yourself so intensely and just crushing every one of your desires down to the place where you have no expectation, no desire. You really don't care what happens in your life. And now finally, because I don't care about anything, now I guess I'm just happy. That's not what God's talking about at all. God is talking about in the midst of the fullness of desire and destiny and, and hope and faith and love, that in the midst of that, in the midst of understanding the perfect nature of yourself and God combined, in that place where everything in you is alive, still, yeah. I love every minute of my life. So the scripture says to us, right, that the only way that we can find true happiness, right, true happiness, not momentary satisfaction, you know, I do a lot of research on this, this, this idea because I really want to know. I want to implement things in my life to learn how to. And, and one of the things that they say is that what happens to a lot of people is that, um, oh, let me just read it here. I forget what the actual terms are. Oh, that people, what they do is they confuse pleasure with happiness. That's a big thing. They confuse pleasure with happiness. But pleasure is very different than happiness. Pleasure is something that we experience because someone or something good happens to me. Happiness is a force that is released from me. Wow. Happiness has nothing to do with the world around me. Right? That's why we're going to get into the, as I teach today, we're going to talk about the Apostle Paul, and he was like the epitome of this and all the crazy, horrible things that happened to him. 
right? And in the midst of it, he makes a statement. Yeah, none of these things move me. Like, well, I, I just don't care. That's the kind of life that God wants for us and that we want for ourselves. And so, you know, what the world is trying to tell us is that the opposite is what's true. That somehow I can work enough, that I can make enough money, that I can meet the perfect man, which, let me promise you, he doesn't exist, <laughs> you know? Like, that's what people think about me sometimes. It's like, oh, you're a, like, look over to Danielle, and they'll be like, oh, you just got the best man, right? And it's like, yo, she's actually the good one in the relationship, <laughs> you know, by far, right? And, and that's just the reality inside of us is that there's nothing in our life that can happen. There's nothing that somebody could add. There's nothing that you can attain or buy that will change us on the inside the way that we want to be changed. But you see, that's what the world tries to tell us. You know, get this new car. You know, or, you know what you need? You need to be in this new house, right? You, you know, oh, you forget about that old thing. You need the new shiny thing. And that's what the world does all the time. Every commercial, every idea, the promise of every politician, everything. Nothing against politicians, but I'm not going there, right? <laughs> I'm already talking about religion. We're certainly not going to be talking about politics, right? This is a recipe for disaster, right? Okay. <laughs> but this is the thing, is that we try to supplement, right? Because, because we try to mix the word and the world, but they are incompatible. It's like oil and water. No matter how much you try to shake them together and make it work, in the end of the day, it separates. And we're left with, a lot of the times, things that we don't want. And that was never God's plan, God's plan for our life. And so we end up struggling our whole life, toiling, scratching, and scraping, only to end up with second best to God's perfect plan for our life. This is why relationship with God is so crucial. That's what I've talked about, you know, the last couple of times is, you know, I'm not going to talk about it right now, but the understanding of why relationship with God is so important, because the only way that we can trust someone is if we know them. Right? And we talk about faith and we coin it as though it's some term, it's some commodity that we're trying to attain. But ultimately, all that faith is, is that I believe God, I trust God more than I trust my five physical senses. I trust God that he said that I am prosperous more than I trust my, I trust God that he said that my body is healthy, even though my doctor said, I trust God in whatever more than what I trust what the world has to say. That is what faith is. And the only way that we'll ever trust anyone is if we know them. The reason that I trust my dad, and I know that whatever crazy situation that I may find myself in, and trust me, it happens. I know that I can call him. Why? Because he's some great guy. Yeah, he's great. But I'm sure you're great, and I don't call you. And honestly, you're probably thankful that I don't call you. But I call him because I know him. I know his nature. And because I know his nature, how he feels towards me, I know that whatever I find myself in, I can call him. You see, this is how God intended our life to be. He intended us not to manufacture happiness on the inside of us, not to try to, 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 to get it as, as a means of, I want to buy it or something like that. God designed that we would find our happiness as we find our place in him. He is the, that void on the inside of you that you would express as, I need something. Really what your heart is crying out for is it knows that it was made for God. 
It knows that I was made for more than this. And it's crying out. It knows the bigness of what God has put on the inside of you. And it's crying out to experience that. The scripture says that even the earth cries out for the sons of God to be men of, for people who know who they are. I know who I am. That is the place where we find this place of happiness, right? Everything you need to succeed, God has already put on the inside of you. 2,000 years ago, Jesus paid a high price. He won. He won. He stretched out his arms and made the declaration that said, well, it is finished, right? The curse has been broken over your life. You don't have to toil in order to find good things. That's been broken over our life. We find it when we find our place in him. He paid. He won. He sweat. He bled. He toiled. He went the distance. He gave his life. Why? The scripture talks to me about what? Sweatless victory. All I have to do is believe that he already did it. Once I can believe that he did it, now I qualify to live in what? Not what I have attained. Not what I've done. Let me tell you, there's nothing that you could do in order to earn what God has done for you. But thank God we don't have to. It was a free gift that he gave to us that I enter into when? When the scripture says, I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart. When I believe in him, I qualify for the life that he's created for me. Happiness, joy, fulfillment, love, peace, it's already in you. Hope for your future, vision, understanding, wisdom, answers to the questions that you have. Everything that you're looking for in order to answer the questions of your heart, God has already put on the inside of you. The scripture says that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is where? Hovering about you. No, it says he lives. The answer lives in you. You have to think of that. He lives in you. Hey, 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 He lives in me, right? He lives in us. All the power, all the authority, everything that I need to change my world lives in me. And so this is our year of inheritance. I'm almost done. This is our year of inheritance, and what the enemy is going to want to do so desperately is try to get us to continue to search for the promise of God. That's what he does. He deceives us by making us think that there's something that we have to do or get in order to receive our inheritance. I, I can't remember who it was. I think it was Pastor Mark came to us. We were talking about this with our, in, within our family, and he said, promises, yes, you have to do you know, all these different things. But he says, inheritance, all you have to do is be. You see, there's nothing that I have to do in order to inherit everything of my dad's. Sorry, girls. There's nothing that I have to do, right? It, it has, it, it, I don't have to, you know, 
earn something or... No. By the very fact that I am. Like, let that... Just because you're you, you qualify for the inheritance of Christ. But you see, the enemy tries to make us feel like it's something I have to get or do or... It's something that I have to buy or purchase. He tries to keep us on this wheel, just running about in circles, thinking as though it's something on the inside of me that I'm going to manufacture, gripping onto my own life, only to miss the thing that God so desperately is trying to give to me. Scratching and scraping to find something that Jesus has open-handedly already given to me toiling and working and sweating and crying and being depressed for something that Jesus has already done on the cross for me. It's the greatest lie I think that the enemy has ever told the church is that there's something that we have to do in order for God to give us what's already ours. You see, your inheritance is waiting for you. It's been waiting for you before you were even born. Every desire on the inside of your heart is waiting for you. The life that you know you were born to live, it's waiting for us to what? Lose our life in God. Just stretch your hands out. I'm not done, but I'm going to finish here. You see, this is, this is our year. This is our year where we step into no longer wanting the promise, but experiencing it. Heavenly Father, right now, we're just declaring, Lord, as a body, Lord, we say that we are, we are your children. And so we step into that place of receiving. Right now, Holy Spirit, I'm asking that you would do a work on the inside of our hearts. And those areas where we have felt as though it's something that we have to do. That I can't lose my life in God because I don't know what he's going to do with it. That I can't stop caring about my own life because if I don't care about it, who's going to care about it? We choose today, Heavenly Father, to reject. We loose. We make a conscious decision to loose those lies from our soul. We choose. We make a conscious decision to loose mistrust. We make a conscious decision to loose discontentment. We make a conscious decision to lose fear and worry and dread about our future, where the enemy has told us that our end is anything but good. We loose those from our souls. And right now, Heavenly Father, we choose as an act of our will to bind to ourselves hope. He says he's hope for the hopeless. We choose to bind to ourselves love, Father, because you said 
that you are love. We bind to ourselves peace because you said you're the prince of peace. We bind them to ourselves, and we declare we'll never be the same. In Jesus' name.